You're listening to the Unhelden News and Review and Pharisee Watch brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths. Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. In today's Pharisee Watch, we're going to look into Romans chapter 13. Many times this is used by Christians as justification for war, the serial wars for that matter, that the U.S. conducts. Let's first read the verses and then we're going to have our Pharisee Watch read to us by Leslie Fort. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you shall also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And that's to verse 7. Leslie, would you read the paper from Chuck, please? Romans 13, The Neo-Christian Sorry Excuse for War, by Charles E. Carlson, June 7, 2011. During the Cold War era, evangelists, notably Billy Graham, provided public support for rearmament to protect the USA from, quote, godless communism, unquote. Today's neo-Christian churches provide the only significant grassroots support for U.S. serial wars against Muslim countries, not to protect the U.S., but to supposedly protect Israel. It is useful to know how Christian scripture has been falsely reinterpreted rewritten and misapplied so as to allow support for American Mideast policy. We will take an educated layman's view of the Christian scripture 
Now, we are told allows church leaders to justify U.S. destruction of smaller and weaker Muslim countries and Israel's occupation and imprisonment of Gaza of 1.5 million Palestinians. A few years ago, leading evangelicals, including the giant Southern Baptist Convention, held to a statement of faith that the Bible was the true and inerrant word of God. It and many other churches and seminaries have changed this statement out of necessity by adding the phrase, in the original text, but the original texts are not available, only old hand copies. In the case of the New Testament, those several old texts we do have are not originals and differ slightly, and translations of the ancient Greek have radically differed in interpretations of the meanings and guesses at the context of the original writers. These sometimes imaginative interpretations are amplified in countless pages of footnotes added to popular study Bibles used, pure opinion and nothing more. A case in point is the Schofield Reference Bible, which has been re-edited at least four times since the original was published by Oxford University Press in 1908, which has an estimated 500 pages of footnotes that have been altered and updated and which have played a major role in redirecting Christian focus from the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the state of Israel. Often, we have to guess at the context in which phrases or pages of writing were penned because the original authors do not always tell us. We may not know when or where they were written, or even with certainty by whom. Many church writers have engaged in what is called, quote-unquote, proof texting, referred to as Aristotelian logic by writers George Barna, whom we think made a contribution to understanding, proof text writers and preachers, John Hagee is one, claim every part of scripture, right down to each individual word and verse, is the word of God and therefore miraculously is true independent of context. From this they reason they can patch together bits and pieces of texts written at different times, often by different authors, and hold that the resulting homogenized argument is also necessarily true. This makes the Bible sort of a jigsaw puzzle. We will examine one section of Romans 13, consisting of seven verses, as a student would be expected to study from a history or a physics textbook, deriving its meaning from the words themselves in the context of the author's stated thesis, and purpose in writing the book. In other words, we will use common sense rather than any preconceived neo-Christian concepts to unravel what the authors of a 2,000-year-old text probably meant. We choose to examine Romans 13 because it is one of the most often used texts used in reprogramming neo-Christians to accept a world at perpetual wars. Neo-Christians usually justify their support of wars in the Middle East in terms of Hebrew, Old Testament accounts of God's wrath told in the Israelite stories of bloody conquests of the Philistines and Canaanites. Samson is still glorified by both American children and the Israeli army, 
for annihilating the Philistine enemies of, quote-unquote, God's chosen people, the Israelites. His story is retold to justify the occupation of today's Philistines, Palestinians. Recall that in the story, God strengthens Samson to kill a thousand Philistines with an animal bone. The Israeli military named its nuclear arms program Operation Samson. The Genesis account of God's instructions to Abraham to occupy Canaan is warped to justify today's Zionist Israelis' right to occupy the entire Middle East. We have unraveled the misapplication of several of these convenient Old Testament yarns, and our work has stood virtually unchallenged. In this series, we will examine one of a very few New Testament passages neo-Christians misapply in order to justify participation in wars that amount to genocide or to justify passive acceptance of a serial war by our government. The subject of this first part explains why Romans 13 cannot be used to justify serial wars. In part two, Jesus' words will be discussed. Whenever I find a neo-Christian who seems to support war, I want to know his reasoning from Jesus' own words. Where, I ask, did Jesus ever give anyone a hint of authority or license to take the life of someone else's child five or ten thousand miles from your own safe home? The answer is invariably a quick switch to some Old Testament order from God supposedly given to the ancient Israelites license to annihilate some tribe. No neo-Christian apologist I have met has ever found such an answer in Jesus' words, and invariably each, when pressed, recites certain writings from Apostle Paul of Tarsus. Every neo-Christian pastor can quote this Romans 13 passage by heart. The first six verses of chapter 13 of the New Testament book of Romans seems to bluntly state that every supreme public official ruler in the King James edition, is a higher power over each of us as subjects that each one of them is a direct appointee from and by God and installed in office to carry out God's divine plan and that each one is in office at God's will to punish evildoers and reward those who do good. Paul seems to have said that those of us who defy our rulers are defying God and will be punished. Neo-Christian pastors, many who now answer to the label Christian Zionists, apply Paul's declaration to every public official's act that they approve of, but which Jesus would denounce. The destruction of Iraq, the occupation of Palestine, and the execution of Osama bin Laden are examples that have been justified from uncounted American pulpits under Apostle Paul's first six verses in Romans 13. They demur, it's our leader's decision. When convenient, neo-Christians expand Paul's words to elected and appointed politicians. Actually, Paul did not use the word ruler. The best available text nearest to the original used a Greek word that seems to translate to magistrate. 
It should be noted that some modern Bibles were translated or paid for by potentates such as King James II. Based on the neo-Christian reading of the passage, no follower of Christ would ever be safe to challenge the will of any politician, appointee, or employee thereof. This reveals what may be the one great unexplained paradox between Paul's words and his acts. I will offer a simple explanation. Paul was in legal trouble most of the time for challenging Roman authority, the Judean king, and the religious Pharisees, all of whom derived their authority from Caesar. He gives a gruesome account of how many times he was whipped, stoned, and imprisoned by the authorities of his day. He was, in fact, the number one burr under the saddle of all these authorities until his violent death at their hands. Paul also provides an account of the words he used in an attempt to convert Roman King Agrippa and his wife Bernice during his trial in Rome. This would seem to suggest Paul thought Agrippa needed to follow Jesus, which would hardly be necessary if that ruler was a direct appointee from God. Paul's life account contradicts his statement that kings are God-appointed, so why did Paul say they are? A very important point must be made and understood here. Never but this one time did Paul appear to contradict Jesus' words, nor did he go beyond them, except in this one case at point. It is impossible to find a whole statement attributed to Jesus that would support Paul's incongruous comment about the godliness of rulers. Nowhere did Jesus say magistrates, potentates, kings, or religious leaders were more favored by God any more than the most humble beggar. This is one reason Jesus was hated by the leaders and in constant trouble with them from Herod and the Pharisees to Pilate and the Caesars. Paul was a superb salesman, which makes him human and believable, but doublespeak was not in him. Politicians engage in doublespeak. Paul, except in this case in point, applied logic. President Obama announced that the state of Israel must return to its 1967 boundaries, but two days later he told AIPAC the U.S. support of Israel is, quote-unquote, ironclad. That is political doublespeak that defies logic. The verses we speak apply triple-speak. So what did Paul try to convey to his first-century followers to whom he wrote this letter? Why is it that Paul's courageous acts are contradicted by his words? The answer must be one of these. One, Paul did not write the passage in question. Someone else inserted it for their own purposes. Two, Paul wrote it while temporarily insane. Or three, most logically, Paul wrote it as a parody a coded message meaning he believed exactly the opposite of what he wrote and that all those who knew him would instantly understand that he dared not and never did say outright words his enemies would not be able to use against him. Let us consider this last possibility. 
What if, after writing as I have for 22 years, I was to circulate a letter to my closest friends stating outright that Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Benjamin Netanyahu, and Muammar Gaddafi were all God's agents in office appointed by God to reward those who do good and punish evildoers. I hope I could count on my friends to show up at my door with a straitjacket in case I lost my mind and a policeman to make sure someone was not holding a gun at the back of my head. Surely no one who knows me would take the statement seriously, for each one knows I believe exactly the opposite. Those who know me would say I had resorted to crass sarcasm to tell the readers that what I really believe, that most political leaders are self-serving opportunists, if not sold-out thugs, and none can be trusted. So why wouldn't Paul's friends view Paul's statement in the same way, especially if he happened to be in jail, which he might have been? Paul had a lot better reason to write in code than I do. I am not threatened with death. Jailers saved his lifetime or two. The Book of Romans was not his first letter, but it was his longest, and we do not know what threat or surveillance he was under when he wrote it. What if Paul put a Caesar-friendly, coded, paradoxical passage in his letter to get it past the Roman authorities to Roman Christian friends who were also facing persecution? What if Paul really wanted to tell congregations what rats and thieves, politicians, magistrates really are? Why not say exactly the opposite of what he thought and rely on the good judgment of his friends who read the letter? It is easy for us to miss this. The letter was not written to us. Parody or bitter sarcasm is the best explanation of Paul's words. Again, Paul's words, quote, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Unquote. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Pharisees. Quote, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Unquote. Nero, Caligula, Henry VIII, Stalin, G.W. Bush, and his father before him. Quote, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. Unquote. Obama. Netanyahu, Bernanke? Are you kidding me? Apostle Paul did not mean any of it, and Jesus did not say a word that would support it. Paul's parody or sarcasm speaks loud and clear to this reader and translates thus. I am again being abused by the political leaders who are watching my every move, who are godless hypocrites, who exist by terrifying everyone who challenges their divine authority as we must do to serve God and do our mission for him, and who are a force for evil against good. Watch out for them. Never trust them, but try not to defy them to their faces, lest they destroy our mission. Does Paul give us a clue to his parody? Yes, he does. At the very end of his makes-no-sense sixth verse discourse he hints at the truth in verse 7 which is also a parody within itself provides the code to correct all the foregoing six verses verse 7 quote render therefore to all their dues tributes bribes to who tribute is due custom to whom custom is due 
fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, unquote. How could he make it more clear? The reader must decide what is due to each politician, especially fear. Give politicians bribes, taxes, and fear, but reserve honor for those who deserve it. This is Paul's hidden message that suggests he is writing parody, for he could hardly tell the readers he believes the opposite of what he wrote. Those who get fear deserve no honor. By mentioning fear, he makes it clear there are those who deserve only fear. If rulers were God's appointees for good, they would not need bribes, taxes, nor would they be feared. I challenge anyone to find a passage in context anywhere in the recorded New Testament words of either Jesus or Paul that suggests that rulers are any different in God's eyes than are the least of their subjects. Paul said this most clearly in his first written letter, the third chapter of the book of Galatians. Quote, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Neo-Christian pastors give Paul's parody on rulers a so-called literal translation to justify America's war-based economy. Of course, our rulers love it. Who would not relish being appointed to do God's will? Pastors and Bible studies also misuse Paul's parody to justify Israel's 60-year occupation and genocide inside the largest open-air prison in the world, Gaza. They take Paul's sarcastic words literally to justify encouraging our Christian youth to join an occupier military that kills to maintain political power. They misuse Paul's parody to justify watching while leaders torture prisoners and slaughter civilian tribesmen in Afghanistan. Pastors hide behind Paul's words when our politicians use cold-blooded murder of the bin Laden family to keep us from knowing the truth from live witnesses. Our leaders do all this knowingly. They cannot find a line or verse from Jesus' own words that support their so-called literal reading of Paul's first six verses of Romans 13. In part two, I will deal hard proof that Jesus' own words, as in early texts, have been contradicted by Bible translations in several reference Bibles published since 1948, making it a near God alongside of Jesus. Thank you for that, Leslie. And, Chuck, that was excellent. That was very thought-provoking. Myself, I always looked at that chapter 13. God certainly allows these people to come to power, but it always bothered me that people like Stalin and Hitler and so forth could actually be pointed by God, and that they certainly had power, and I believe that God allows them allowed them to come to power. We don't know the reasons and so forth, but to say that they're appointed is to say that a hurricane or a tornado was planned by God. And aimed at Joplin. 
and named it Joplin. And yes. oftentimes you'll find our, these same Christian leaders saying things like that uh, during the Lebanese War, where Israel was bombing the Lebanese people. Pat Robertson proclaimed that that was coming at the end times and that God had instigated that, and it was being done to carry out God's will. Yes, so it's very common for them to apply these things. And the issue of whether God actually plans wars or not is, I think, beyond us here. What we're looking at is these actual words and trying to decide how to how to treat the words. Well, I think I also looked at it as, yes, we need to be subject to our authorities as long as they follow with what God has given us as and. We may, uh, in the case of a Hitler, if I was a, a German and I objected to that, I certainly would suffer consequences. And we know Bonhoeffer, for one, was put to death for trying to, to get rid of Hitler and so forth. So there were people that suffered the consequences of going against the government because they were looking at God's laws rather than man's laws. They weren't looking at, at taking this Romans 13 for literally as it was because they should have, in that case, they, they should have been praising God for sending Adolf Hitler. I might add one thing. In, in looking at various Bibles who have interpreted this, some, a number of Bibles, I'm talking about new Bibles such as the Living Bible, have noticed this passage and have tried to alter their interpretation of the words, the Greek words, to make it more logical. And the Living Bible says that uh, citizens are obligated to obey the laws. So essentially it converts what is actually written into something else to make it more logical to them. And I agree with them that uh, citizens are uh, obligated to obey reasonable and just laws. But that isn't what the text says here. That's That's their interpretation, which was an effort to make it more reasonable to present to their readers. Uh, we take a different approach here. We haven't tried to cushion this down into something that we find a little bit more acceptable to our efforts and to other people's efforts. We've examined the whole thing to see if it is possible that it is actually true. What And we assume Paul did say something like this, and we want to we know if this is possibly true. I, I guess I could ask my audience here, who are pretty good Bible students, I wish Mark was on with us to, to answer this as well, does anybody know a passage where Jesus said anything like this? Well, I can't think of anything for certain. I, I think I think we're in fairly safe ground to say that if taken in reasonable context and a reasonable uh, interpretation, Jesus never said anything that would support Paul. I, I could also share with you this. Some may not be aware of this, but Muslims are among the best educated students of Jesus' words. And uh, I have been told by more than one Muslim scholar that they believe that the Apostle Paul was a phony, that he really wasn't Jesus' man, and that he was producing a religion of his own. And it's statements like this one that have led them to wonder about that. I disagree with that. I think Paul was given to us by God as as Jesus' man to carry out a certain purpose, which he did. And the question is not the other statements that Paul made, such as his beautiful discourse in, in the book of Galatians on who are God's chosen people and who are the sons of Abraham, but rather examining this particular passage to see if we can find it 
make it somehow fit into the context of Paul's life and Jesus' life. And again, my conclusion is, no, it doesn't fit. So there must be another answer. Okay, well, thank you, Chuck. That was very thought-provoking. We'll look forward to the next installment on our Pharisee Watch here. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.